Well, this morning we're continuing our series about what it means to behave as believers, to have conduct in our lives that is actually shaped by our trust in Jesus. What does it mean to have Christian conduct? Uh, It's been a a few weeks we've been talking about this, all based out of Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, which we'll get to in a moment. But I want you to think about a concept with me for a second. God created people to flourish within boundaries. Just think about that for a moment. God created people to flourish within boundaries. That's why children tend to really do their best when there's some structure placed around their lives. And kids' lives can just fall apart really quick when there's no boundaries. No, It's because they, we've been created to flourish within boundaries. It's why sports teams don't do well when coaching is absent. Because those, those people that are those authorities in that moment that are there to create the boundaries for how, this is how we're going to play. This is the play that we're going to run. This is how you do your position. Those are all boundaries. And in that, a team will flourish. It's why businesses fall apart when employees don't know they're running lanes. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? I, you know, I don't know who's doing what. Those are all boundary kind of issues. And when they're absent, well, the flourishing of that business kind of plummets. It's why God, even in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, brought Adam and Eve together and said, hey, one boundary, one boundary. There is one tree you are not to eat from. Even in the middle of perfection. Why? Because they needed to know what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And that's what boundaries do. They create the expectations of whatever the authority is, whether it's a a parent, a coach, a boss, the governor, the president, whomever, it is, it is how boundaries are how our expectations are communicated. This is what's acceptable on one side of the boundary. On the other side of the boundary, you step across that, no longer acceptable. Right? How many of you, when you were kids, had boundaries set on you? I remember one of the boundaries set on me is, that, hey, when the street lights come on, it's time to be home. Right? And during the summer, it means you get to play outside quite late. But when those streetlights come on, what is that? It's just a simple boundary. It's a time boundary. Communicating expectations of, I don't expect you to be roaming the streets at night. Right? Then we have, of course, all over the city and all over our nation, all around the world, there are things called speed limit signs. Right? Where authorities have judged based on all kinds of assessments what sort of speed is appropriate here. It lets you know whether you're doing what is acceptable or what is not acceptable. When we think about God's word, you know, I mean, it's filled with these kind of expectations of like, here's what's acceptable, here's what's not. One of the most famous 
portions of scripture that, that tell us those what those boundaries that God gave his people, the Israelites, was the Ten Commandments. Right? Here's six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You ready? Ready? Don't murder anybody. Okay? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. Right? Those are like boundary things with God where he's saying, you know, this is what's acceptable. This is not acceptable. Boundaries are how expectations are created and communicated. And guess who does the boundary making? Authorities. Whoever is in authority is the one that gets to make the boundary. So you get to judge right now, like, are you a person of some authority? Well, you are if you are a boundary maker for others. And this is one of the reasons why God, it says in Romans chapter 13, we talked about this a bit last week, is the one who is given all authority. Because God knew that we would flourish most when there were appropriate boundaries created. And so he set authority into place to help be boundary makers. Whether it's, again, parents, employers, government leaders, all of those are people who create these boundaries. And Romans 13 clearly tells us that all authority is given by God. Now, it doesn't mean that every authority uses that authority appropriately. There are some authorities that have abused that. Again, we talked about that a little bit last week. But we also find out in Romans 13 that when we, when we step across that barrier, right, that's been created, that boundary, and we do that in a way that we are rebelling, it says, hey, you're not just rebelling against that human authority that made that boundary, you're rebelling against God himself the one who established authority. So we want to look at these two verses that we've been looking at from Titus chapter 3, in which we're finding lots of things to talk about regarding our conduct as Christians. And this is what Paul wrote to Titus. He said, remind the people to be subject to, to rulers and authorities to be obedient. That's what we talked about last week, about how, what, what does it mean to be subject to? It means literally that we come under their authority. Subject, sub, like submarine. Like we're, we're, we're created to live under the authority of others, Okay. So remind the people, be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. So this starts, right, with this strong command to the followers of Jesus, be subject to the rulers and authorities coming under them in obedience. In other words, obey the boundaries that your authorities create. And if this doesn't make sense to you quite fully, and you're like, wow, I'm not sure where all this came from, you just go back in this series. You can go back to YouTube and, 
and go to our channel and watch it or our podcast on our website. And you're going to hear kind of the, the basis for, for why God was saying, remind people about this. But one of the questions that immediately kind of comes to our minds when we're told, be subject to rulers and authorities, I don't know about that. What do you mean be obedient to them? Because the question I think that comes to our mind is like, always God? Like, is this some ironclad rule that like we're, we're, we're all, I mean, like there's no exceptions to this? Seriously? I mean, what? I mean, man, some of these authorities are, are creating all kinds of boundaries and rules that I'm not sure that I should follow and submit myself to. And I think another great question that we should be asking is, is there a biblical framework for how we would approach this topic and ask those questions? Is there something in the Bible that would help to inform us? Like, are there times that we need to actually reject certain boundaries and stand in opposition to the very authorities that God said that we're to be subject to and obedient to. God, can you help us here? Can you, can you show us something? And, and in scripture, there are a handful of very important times when we do see that followers of God had to say, I, I can't go where you're trying to lead me. I cannot subject myself to the boundary that you're trying to put around me. There are a handful of times when that is the case where we can look to and, and gain wisdom for what is this supposed to look like for the conduct of Christians. And I think perhaps probably the most informative of these places in Scripture is found in Acts chapters 4 and 5. Because that's where two times the apostles were arrested and were told that they could no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Right? I mean, right off the bat, right in Acts chapter 4 or 5, I mean, Jesus had recently returned to heaven, said, go into all the world, make disciples. And here they are being arrested and commanded, you may not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, guess what? We're sitting here, you're sitting there, I'm standing here, a couple of thousand years later in a church that is all about worshiping and celebrating and learning to follow after Jesus. Why? Because the apostles rejected that boundary. They rejected it. They, they said, we, we cannot abide by that. But it was in Acts chapter 4 that they were first arrested and they were given this command, never again. Speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Never again. But it's in the very next chapter, chapter 5, where we find out, I mean, not only were they speaking in the name of Jesus, but it says that miracles were happening, crowds were coming, and people were just turning to Jesus, just more and more. So it says the religious leaders find out about this, they discover this, says they were filled with jealousy, Right? This Jesus, not even here anymore, he's getting all the attention and we're not. And they were, they were ticked that people's hearts were being maybe drawn away from them and being turned towards Jesus. And so 
They send again. Second time, they arrest the apostles again, and they, they're brought before the religious leaders. And it says this, starting in Acts 5, 27 through 29. It says, when they had brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them, we gave you strict orders. Strict orders. Strict orders. It's like, how could we have made this boundary any clearer for you? We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Right? Which is, they were reading a whole lot into this because really, well, You can go back and read, read the whole story. You want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. That's a heavy statement right there. Just let that sink in for a moment. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Well, if you were to keep reading, what you find out is this infuriated the religious leaders to the point where it says, oh, we're just going to kill you right here and right now. I mean, they were like, set, they were going to kill the apostles. One of them, however, one of those religious leaders stood up and said, hey, maybe there's a different path. And he convinces them that killing them would not be the best option, right? I believe that was the Holy Spirit showing up in a miraculous way to say, yeah, now's not their time. Praise the Lord. So one of them stands up and they actually listen to his counsel. And so we pick back up in verse 40 and it says, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged, which... You know, that's, that's not like a little spanking, right? This was something that was bloody and torturous. And yeah, it was, it was, it was bad. I mean, the flogging was, you know, stripping a person, taking a huge whip. And uh, according to Jewish custom, they could, they could give up to 40 lashes. And so the apostles would have been bloodied and uh, in, in quite a bit of, trauma and pain. They didn't kill him, but they called them in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them. I mean, like, again, they say, here's the boundary. Never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Listen to what it says. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. They were bloody, but they were rejoicing. Why? How is that even possible? They left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then it finishes up by saying, so every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this 
message. Jesus is the Messiah. Powerful story here. What can we take away from this story to like to learn for our own conduct if and when it ever comes to that point where we have to say no to human leaders, human authorities? If and when that happens, what should our conduct be like? What, what can we learn from this? I want to just pull out three, I think, really important things for us to learn. Number one is this. We are to obey God above all. Above all, we are to obey God. If human authorities tell me to stop doing something that God commanded me to do, or if they were to command me to do something that God commanded me not to do, guess what? I obey God. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we put God's authority above all. Listen, when we, when we talked last week about being subject to authority, right? That's how we're to live, subject to authority. But here's human authority. And if we have given our lives over to Jesus, then here's God's authority, right? So here's God's authority, then there's human authority, and we're to live in submission. We are to live subject to the religion authorities, to, be, to live these obedient lives. But ultimately, we are obedient to God above all. That's what it means when we say, Jesus is Lord. When we declare Jesus is Lord, which are the three most important and powerful and transformational words that we can ever speak. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we are declaring is that he is the Lord over all. He's the Lord over my life. He's the Lord over my decisions. He's the Lord over my family. He's the Lord over my church. He is the Lord over my state, my country, my job, my income, everything. Jesus is Lord over all. God reigns supreme. It's a big deal. So whenever there's a direct conflict between this human authority and God's authority, we say, well, it's already been settled in my, in my heart, in my spirit. I've already said that Jesus is Lord. And so I must follow God. We have to, our lives echo what the apostles said in Acts 5.29. We must obey God. We must obey God rather than any human authority. But there is a really important distinction that we need to make here. Because you need to notice what the, what the apostles were saying here was that this was not based on their opinion and this was not based on their preference. This was based on a clear directive from God himself to go and preach in the name of of Jesus. There's lots of things that we would prefer not to do. There are a lot of areas where if we were the authority in that moment, in that situation, 
we would design the boundaries very differently. In fact, you know, in our opinion and in our perspective, we would create boundaries that would be far better, far smarter, and maybe even far more just than a boundary that has been created for us. There's a lot of things that we would rather prefer. I mean, listen, how many of you as teenagers, okay, how many of you as teenagers really, really preferred, right, the boundaries that your parents placed around your life? How many of you really preferred those? Or how many of you would ever say, you know what, dumb rule, dumb rule. I, if I was the parent, I would make much wiser decisions about the boundaries, right, that are being placed around my life. It's very natural to feel that way. How many of you would prefer to drive at a speed other than the one that was posted? Ah, oh, man, I would really prefer, I would really prefer to not go at this speed limit. I would really prefer not to pay the taxes that I am told are due. Very personally, Kelly and I bumped into one of those taxes earlier this year. I, I shared this story. God like showed up in this very surprising way. Um, in 2020, we were able to buy a house and paid all the taxes. You know, did all the stuff. We did all the stuff you're supposed to do. And then this year, surprise, one more tax bill, hundreds of dollars. And they said it was delinquent. It's like, hello, <laughs> Mr. Government Official. I have a bone to pick with you, right? This is not right. This is not fair. We were not even notified of this time. And we weren't. We never received any bill, anything like that until we got this letter. So you got taxes and they're overdue. So now there's penalties. I said, what in the world? But this government official very kindly explained to me what had happened and that they were not responsible for me not receiving the initial bill. I had to pay it anyway. And you know what? We paid it. We wrote the check, licked the envelope, said, God, this is in your hands. We, we, we know that we're called to live in ways that we're obedient to the authorities around and over us. We're called to live that way even when we would not prefer. Even when we say, that's wrong. They should not be able to do that. Well, this is one of the boundaries that the authorities above us have enacted. See, our agreement with the boundary isn't the point. Our comfort is not the point. Our preference is not the point. The point is, is that we followers, fellow travelers, fellow pilgrims, fellow followers of Jesus, the point is, is that our lives have been transformed by the power of the gospel and that the grace that has been given me, the grace that God has shown to me is to be 
poured out of my life, even when I would not prefer to give that grace, even when I would prefer not to walk under the authority of someone else and to live within their stupid little boundaries that they created. God's like, yeah, I didn't call you to prefer it. I called you to obey it. So how do these things come together? One, we find that there are times when we have to stand up in opposition and say, I, I can't follow that. I, I have to reject that boundary. I have to obey God and not human authority. But we are very quickly reminded it is not about our opinion or our preference. These are only times when we can clearly see in God's word that it would be violating a command that God has given us. And that's when there is then the obligation to follow God over human authority, but it has nothing to do with our preference, our comfort, or our opinion. I even wonder this. I even wonder if sometimes, sometimes, follow me here, if sometimes God will allow rulers and authorities over our lives that he put there to stretch us, that he put there to tick us off, to, to be there, to create some boundaries that really kind of frustrate us. Because you know what I find is that those are often the times when my faith is tested. When that employer makes me do stuff I don't want to do, right? When that government official or government process or whatever it is, creates boundaries that I really wish I was not having to live within. I just wonder if sometimes God allows that in order for us to have to confront the issue and make a decision. Am I going to live as a transformed person by the gospel of Jesus? Or am I just going to say, I'm going to walk in rebellion to you. Because what James says, and you can read this in James chapter 1, I mean that verse 2 through 4 area, part of what he says there is you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So he says, so let it grow. It's how we become mature in our faith. If, if, if all the boundaries, in other words, were so perfectly aligned to our preferences and opinions, guess what? We would never, never have a chance to really test our faith. Our faith would never be tested because it would just be like, I'm just living fat and happy in every arena of my life. There are no boundary issues that I have to press up against that make me uncomfortable, that make me have to trust the Lord in this situation. So, but the first thing we learn is that we've got to obey God above all. The second thing, second thing we discover is that, guess what? There may be a high price to pay. When we do come to those times, they seem to be rather rare reading in scripture that there's actually a command of God that we're called to say, no, we have to follow God. We, we don't see that lots of places through scripture. We see that in specific places. 
But when we do encounter those, and when we must say we're following God rather than human authority, guess what? There may be a high price to pay. Now, there are times when, like, God shows up miraculously and spares us from the consequences of breaking that, bear, that boundary that was established by human authority. There are times. And, we, and you know what those are called? Miracles. They're called miracles because they don't happen regularly or very often. They're miracles. They're like surprising ways that God shows up in grace that would spare us from those consequences. And, and some of them are like some of the most famous passages of scripture and some of the coolest stories. One of them is found in Daniel chapter three. It is the first one that came to my mind, right? We, we learn of these three guys, three Hebrews that are now, well, they've been taken from their homeland and they're now living in Babylon, serving at the pleasure of King Nebuchadnezzar. Their names were, anybody tell me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Shad, Rad, and Benny. Okay. And what we find is that they're living in this land. They're actually elevated to the position of leaders. But the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he gets this idea, I'm going to build this golden idol, this huge idol that people need to bow down to. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, sorry, we, we can't do that. Like, we follow God. We're, we're living in your land. And we are under your authority. And they were. Serving at the pleasure of the king. Believe me. He had a lot of authority. And they were living in submission to him. But when he said, no, you've got to bow down to this idol. They said, no, we follow under a different set of authority structures here. We must obey God. And so the king finds out that they're not being obedient to him. And he like freaks out. Flies into a rage. It's in Daniel 3, 14 and 15 that we, that we read this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, said this to them. Is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance. There's the boundary, okay? But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Because in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he was the authority that was on the top of the food chain. It's like, I know God is going to be able to save you because I'm the king here. What I say goes. So we keep reading Verses 16 through 18, so these three guys says they reply, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I love that. I want you to think about this for a moment. They didn't need to defend themselves before the king because the king already knew these were submitted guys. These were guys who, like, lived in submission, subject to and obedient to the king. They, the king knew that about their lives. It's why they had like been raised up to actually be leaders in the land. But they didn't need to defend themselves. So, so they go on and they say, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Ah, listen to the trust right there they had in God. 
You're like, okay, you may throw us into the burning furnace. We get it. That may be the penalty that we endure, suffer, pay the ultimate price because we're going to follow God here. But if you do, God's able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Then you let your majesty. Like we're still under you. You're the king. We get it. But even if he doesn't. Like God can rescue us. We believe he's going to do it. We believe he's going to do it. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, (laughs) your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So then very famously, King Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, you're dead. Has him thrown this furnace that is so hot that actually the people that throw them into the furnace are caught up in the flames and die. That's how hot it was. So King Nebuchadnezzar is checking things out, you know, what, what's going on in there. Looks in the furnace, and they knew, he knew that they'd thrown three guys in there, but he looks in there, and there's four people. Four people. Do the math. We threw th- Nebuchadnezzar's like, didn't we just throw three guys in there? How is it that there are four now in there, and one of them looks like a god? They didn't burn. In fact, it says that immediately, like Nebuchadnezzar's trying to figure this out, Gets them out of the furnace. I don't know how that happens. It was like, hey, get out, come on, get out, out. They come out. It says they didn't even smell like smoke. Like God just sovereignly and miraculously protected them, even though they had broken this barrier and had, right, stepped across this boundary that had been very clearly put there. God was just on display here joining them in the fiery furnace. And you know what? God can do the same thing for you and for me. When we, when we say no to human authority because it is violating a clear command of God, God can show up and miraculously save and spare us. But that's not what he does all the time. I just want you to be reminded that it was the apostles who didn't die on that day, but were brutally flogged, left there bloody, all jacked up, messed up, in pain, yet rejoicing. There may be a high price to pay. We just need to recognize that that when we stand up in opposition to human authority, that it doesn't mean it's just gonna like all of a sudden go perfectly for us. We need to recognize, no, that this whole thing takes such courage. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this fearless courage, fearless. See, when it, listen, we need to understand when, when God says to be sub, subject to the rulers and authorities over us, be obedient, he's not calling us to this place of timidity. Okay, I guess I'm just lower than everybody else. So I'm just going to like do whatever I'm told. No, that is not what God is calling us to. Do do you know how much courage it takes? Well, 
Hopefully you do. Do you know how much courage it takes to like submit yourself to your parents? To submit yourself to rulers and authorities. And it takes just as much and even more fearless courage when we come to those moments where we say, listen, I know that I'm called to live in submission to you, but in this instance, I can't. I can't. And I know that I may pay the penalty for this, but I'm willing to do that because I know who my God is. And because I've declared that Jesus is my Lord, then I'm willing to pay the penalty. I'm willing to say, God, I will rejoice that I've been counted to suffer because of your name. You still with me? One more thing. One more thing that I want to just pull from this story. And that is that even when the apostles said, hey, we have to obey God rather than, than human authority, I want you to see something that is so informative to us, and that is that we still walk in submission to others. See, this, this call, this obligation to obey God rather than human authority, it doesn't like somehow remove our call to live in submission. When, when Peter and John stand up and say, hey, we, we have to obey God rather than human authority, they were not suddenly becoming rebellious they were not somehow becoming anarchists, right? Power to the people. You know, we're, we're not going to do what you say. No. It, it was this, it was very particular and specific related to this. And they were willing to pay the price to do it. When we obey God above all, even when we're called to reject human boundaries, we're not promoting a spirit of rebellion. We're actually promoting a spirit of submission. It's just to a higher power. Maturity is often shown best when there are two things that seem to be quite different, but that we hold them together as both as true things and then learn in the Lord how to walk in that, how to walk it out. Two things that seem to be very different. Like we're called to serve others. Serve, 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 serve. In fact, we've even talked to you, do good, do good, do good, right? We're also called to rest. To rest. See, maturity is saying, I'm gonna serve others with everything, all the power that God gives me, but I'm also not gonna be so frenetic about it that I'm just burned out and there's nothing left of me that Jesus calls me to rest. Maturity is when we hold both of those together. God's word tells us, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. No matter who they are, what they're about, what their life looks like, what they're shooting into their veins. Well, you know, it's like, love your neighbor. God's word also tells us we're to hate sin. Hate it. Hate, hate, hate hate sin. You know what maturity is? We do both. When we do both, when we love our neighbor, but we don't love the sin that comes along with whatever's going on in that neighbor's life. 
That's maturity. And here we're told, be obedient to, be subject to the rulers and authorities over you. But we also know and we see in Scripture there are times when we have to say we can't in this instance. Maturity is when we learn to do this. I'm still going to be submitted. I'm still going to listen to what my government is telling me, even though maybe in this instance I, I have to say yes to God instead. Doesn't mean that I'm rejecting all of my government's edicts or the boundaries. It just means in this one instance, I cannot abide by this and still follow after God. That's maturity. Because our motivation is always to live as God's transformed people, filled with his grace, filled with his grace, filled with his power to live lives that are now on display as followers of Jesus. So we're called to be subject, live, live in subject, live subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. We're called to do good, to do good. Even if we're called to like stand up and say, no, I can't do that, we're still called to do good. And it says that we're to do all these things without slander. Because isn't it sometimes when we see like a bad boundary, a boundary we don't agree with, a, a boundary that is not our preference, first thing we do, I'm going on Facebook and telling the world why I think you're stupid. You're stupid. Your boundary telling me I should be doing this. They tell people how dumb you are. You know what? That's not how we behave as believers. We pray for those in authority over us. It says we don't slander. It says that we're peaceable. It says that we're gentle toward everyone, even those rulers and authorities that we might have to look in the eyeballs and say, I can't do what you're asking me to do today because God's asking me to do something different. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because the day and age in which we live, these things are probably going to be things we're going to have to bump up against and we're going to have to confront. There's legislation, you know, that our government is considering right now that could potentially really violate things that are very clear biblically. There are things that maybe not in your and my lifetime, but maybe in our children's, that our kids are going to have to confront decisions that they're going to have to make. Am I going to just do what I'm being told to do here, or am I going to have to take a stand and say, even though I'm someone who knows how to live under submission to authority, I'm going to have to say no, because I have to be obedient to God, even though it may cost me, even though it may cost me my job, even though someone may say, well, you're going to, you're going to prison for what you're doing. I don't know. I do know this. There are people around the world that are facing that today. There are people who love Jesus around the world today that are facing that and far worse. People who've willingly laid down their lives because they would not stop. They would not stop talking. 
I don't want this to be super heavy. But you guys, this is how we're called to live. These, this is what a life looks like in Jesus. And I believe that God, in his grace, and by the power, empowerment of his Holy Spirit, he'll enable us to live as his followers, no matter what. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> how could we speak on these topics and not think about what you did for us? Lord, rather than calling in all the angel armies to battle against those soldiers who were about to nail you to a cross, but what you did, Lord, modeled something for us and modeled something for how we're to live as your followers because you willingly submitted your life to what your father had outlined for you. And you went to the cross and you died for us, taking our sin upon yourself, Lord, that we could be free. But Lord, we are now called to use that freedom to follow you. So Lord, even as you faced those things with courage. God, I pray that you would give us all the courage needed. Even as you face those things with grace, that you would fill us with your grace, enabling us, Lord, to live as believers, even during really tough and challenging moments in history. And Lord, would you give us your favor? Would you allow us to declare your name, Lord Jesus, in ways that is going to make a difference in the stories of others? Lord, that when people see our lives and they're just baffled by how can they live so strong in the face of adversity, Lord, that they would know it is because of you. And Lord, because of that, we're gonna get to be your light in a world that often is quite dark. So Lord, help us on this journey in your name and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you are so, so loved. And uh, we're going to start a new series next week that I'm excited about. But I'll tell you what, let's always remember to, in all of these things, let's be people who do good. Who do good in the name of Jesus. You are loved. We'll see you next week. And for families, we'll see you on Friday night for the Safari Kids Party. We'll see you there.